The rate of change for business and technology is unrelenting, and it's only going to get faster. It's forcing businesses to work harder than ever to remain relevant. In this podcast, we sit down with industry leaders to discuss what they're doing to keep pace with digital transformation and ultimately hug the curve of technology. You're listening to Hug the Curve. Here's your host, Steve Neesman. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our Hug the Curve series podcast. Great to be with you again. I'm your host, Steve Neesman. Today, we're joined by Bob Meyer, Vice President of Customer Experience Solutions at Intelligence. Bob, welcome to the podcast. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and just what the heck is a Vice President of Customer Experience Solutions? Sure, happy to do that. And it's it's common for most folks not to know what exactly customer experience solutions are. So um, long and short of it, customer experience solution uh, is anything that deals with touch points for the customer. That could be online, that could be offline, that could be a salesperson, customer service representative, etc. As far as my background, uh, I've been in the space for a very long time, uh, over 20 years in the online space. Uh, originally started when catalogers, remember those things, when they were trying to move online I and do, uh, fi- figured out the whole, how do we get our products to display? How do we then add them to cart? How do we accept credit cards? And over the years, I've seen that evolve into business to consumer commerce, for example, and obviously business to business commerce. And then CX started taking on a, a couple of other uh, areas as well. Marketing automation. How do you get your brand messaging out to folks? Sales and service automation. So think CRM, think field service technology. And then now today, how are you tracking identity and consent with all the rules and regulations around what is being tracked and and the right to know what's being um, uh capture it on me and the right to forget and all that stuff, it's become an important part of the customer experience process. Thanks, Bob. You, you brought up a lot of information just in your introduction, and there's a number of areas I'd like to explore and for you to pontificate with our audience. But let's just start broadly about what do you see going on today in this world of engaging with the customers of e-commerce? What the heck is happening out there? That's a It's a great question, and it's actually a very exciting time in our, in our space. Um, and I, I couldn't find the exact quote, but the, the gist of the quote was, in the last six months, e-commerce has evolved 10 years. So in other words, what we expected to see in 2030, we're actually seeing already in 2020. And I think that's putting a lot of uh, pressure on companies as to what do I need to do with regards to customer experience. And one of the things that, um, or a few of the things that I, I find customers um are hesitant on is first inactivity. They 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 don't know what to do, and they think they ha- it has to be perfect. Um, and so my advice is start start small. You can always expand from there. The other thing is it it's you don't have to boil the ocean all at once. So there are a multitude of solutions that can work well collectively, um, like the CX suite from SAP, but they also work well independently. So you don't have to do everything all at once. You can find your pain points, find areas where you can expand your relationships with customers, increase revenue, et cetera, and capitalize on those small things to start. And then the systems are sophisticated enough that over time, you can continue to expand and grow them to tackle any other business challenges that come up. Yeah, that's interesting, Bob. I like what you said just a moment ago. I'll rephrase it in my vernacular. And you said, perfect is the enemy of good enough. In other words, as you said, start small. 
So let's explore for the audience, if you would, what is e-commerce today? Where do you start small? What are some of these pain points that companies are seeing in this world of technology evolving so fast? And then maybe a second part, Bob, if I could set you up, and that would be with COVID-19 and the pandemic hitting, while cu customers, companies are so confused, where do they start? First, I think we do, a as an, as an industry, we do a terrible job. We say e-commerce. What we really mean is e-business. So yes, it, it includes being able to find products and add to a bag. And in a lot of cases, that's where companies are hesitant. They don't think their products will translate online or that their buyer will want to buy things online. I can tell you that 90% of all research is done before somebody contacts a company online. Um, millennials are now making up a big portion of the purchasers. And so 70% of them don't even want to talk to a sales rep. They want to find it online. So I think for companies, it's what do they want to achieve and what are their biggest pain points? For example, we're working with one of our long-term customers and we are putting in commerce. We're calling it an e-business platform, but we're not even turning on the cart capability just yet. What we're doing is we're creating a dealer portal for them. And what they're able to do is offload a lot of work from customer service representatives and phone calls, all of those things. They can put all that information online. So if I placed an order and want to see what its status is, I don't have to call in. I can go online, click, find my tracking number, find out what, um, you know, uh, uh, LTL it's on, um, get information right there at my fingertips. I can also look up invoices, those types of things. So we're seeing companies recognize that, again, you don't have to do everything at once. Figure out what your pain points are, and we can help identify and prioritize those for you, um, and then determine what is the best first step. The other thing is, you don't have to build Amazon day one. Um, you can build a, a simple checkout process um, where you, yes, you can order consumables, replacement items, those types of things. But for example, you're not going to order a big press break online. You could in a few in a, a few months if you wanted to, but initially you could order those small consumable things that again could take burden off of off of the rest of your staff. As far as companies where to start, um, that is a great question and. I think, in my opinion, the best place to start is what are your and your customers' pain points today? And what we often see is companies do have an online presence or do have a good CRM system. And what we're finding is those experiences differ from each other versus when they call into a call center person or a, 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 an associate on the phone. Um, and what what we like to look at is those individual point solutions and how well integrated are they to the enterprise and that's where we feel sap stands out where we can connect or integrate online for example to your pricing engine so you don't have to replicate those prices so if i'm a customer and i go online i see those parts or those products i know that that's my price if i call into a call center person they see the same price if i talk to a sales rep that sales rep sees the same price. So I would start with what is my pain point and how can I um, address or attack it first um, and then look to expand that capability and then perhaps expand into different touch points of the customer um, where those where that same pain point is or new pain points exist. It's really good, Bob. Let me rephrase in my words kind of what you just said. In other words, crawl, walk, run. You can't be an Amazon day one. 
don't be afraid or try to pretend to be Amazon, but get the foundation in, crawl, walk, run. And the crawling may be in the step one, as you identified for our folks, would be find that business pain that is holding you back and address that. Is that fair? That is fair. The The other component I would add to that is delay or latency could cost you revenue. Um, sometimes, and as we spoke at the beginning, it's better to do something than to do nothing, even if that something isn't 100% complete because somebody else out there is thinking about it or doing it and will disrupt your business. So um, sounds cliche, but you're better off disrupting your own business because you can control the narrative than having a competitor come in offering a better experience versus you know, similar products, et cetera. The experience is the differentiator and having them start to take customers away from you. Bob, help our audience with a viewpoint in the sense that you said customers can't afford to wait. Technology's moving too fast. They're going to fall behind the curve of technology. Yet with COVID-19 and the pandemic, budgets are frozen. CFOs are trying to protect cash. But you're saying something sort of that goes against that grain is spend what you can. You need to do something. Otherwise, you're going to fall behind. Correct. I'm fortunate the the segment of our business that I'm in is all cloud-based. So we have a lot of subscription products. So you don't need to have that big capital outlay in order to get these projects started. Um, Working with Intelligence, we also have flexibility to um, extend how you go about paying for your your implementation and integrations. Um, so right there, we feel we have an advantage for most companies, but it, it's a matter of talking to your solution partner and under, understanding what those challenges are. And again, now is the time to look at how you're allocating capital. Do we make that big capital purchase for something that might be in the office or um, extra hardware versus is now the time do we look and see if we can get a subscription model? And now you start off small and it's kind of, again, cliche, pay as you grow. You start off small with a with a, with a modest subscription for an e-commerce solution, for example. And as your business ramps up and grows, because it's in the cloud, you don't have to replatform. You don't have to buy more hardware. You add to your subscription and the infrastructure and all of the things that we over the years have traditionally worried about are not a worry anymore because those are inclusive in the prices. Somebody else who's an expert at those things manage those pieces of infrastructure and you get to manage the results of those infrastructure, that infrastructure and that software. And that's running your business. How do you do more online? How do you move people over to a digital channel? People that want to be on the digital channel, how are you addressing their needs and taking care of their their wants from your organization? Bob, maybe if you could just explain to our audience a little bit more. You hit on the concept of what's called CapEx or spending capital, a lot of cash out front and a big purchase up front versus this cloud, quote unquote, or subscription model which people call operating OPEX, which means the payments are paid for over time. So that's both in the software space, but there's also some interesting trends in terms of services that companies more and more, or some of them like an intelligence are moving to a subscription as a service. Can you comment on that and how that can help a customer? Yes, it's it's quite simply in COVID, it's about, Cash flow, and what are you doing with the cash that you have? Um, 
being able to justify, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in cash outlay without knowing what the results will be for two, three, four years or on your time horizon. Imagine if you could take that same approach, slice it into smaller absorbable components, pay for it monthly. And then as your projects come online, you start to see the time to value much, much faster. So rather than spending, you know, half a million dollars on an e-commerce solution all up front, imagine if you were able to spread that cost as well as the software subscription over a period of, you know, two, three years, whatever that is. And now all of a sudden you've got a much more palatable budget. Um, you can understand what is working with the solution faster. Um, and then it also enables you to look at things with a different lens so that maybe some of those nice to haves or things that were going to be a, um, you know, a, a, a project you were going to do in two years, they may actually have a real benefit. And if you did them now, the the monthly cost may not be that much more or that significant, but the return on investment is going to be, you know, much quicker. So you tend to make decisions on how quickly can we see a result and what is going to drive our business versus worrying about how are we going to pay for that, you know, extra $100,000 or $200,000 worth of, uh, worth of, uh, software and services. Um, it, it gives people a lot more flexibility as to how they're going to market. The other benefit is because you're biting things off in smaller chunks, you actually, you know, your, your projects tend to be more successful because they're smaller, more manageable. You get to see the results right away. And now you can make decisions as to your next release because you're seeing the results or you're not seeing the results. Do we need to tweak something to, to make that growth or that uh, return happen faster? And it, I think it just gives much more, I'll steal a, a, a project management term, much more agility to an organization to be able to flex and react to things without having to worry that, oh my gosh, I've got this massive capital outlay. I've got to stay on this single focused project or process for two or three years. You can move between things much quicker um, and they have to prove themselves out much. Very good, Bob. So thank you for, I think that whole context of what you were just explaining walks us to your paradigm again, start small and make the payments and the cash flow afford what is in your business model given the pandemic changes and all of that. So very good. I want to explore another angle. You stimulated a thought in my brain, much of what we've read about from the analysts and the writers from Fortune and Forbes and so forth. They talk about technology and the speed of change and how technology has never moved this fast before and it'll never move this slow again. And my point in question to you, Bob, is many f people fear technology that, hey, this automation will take away my job. But what do you experience in, and I'm going to use your words, which I love, the e-business space? How is technology perhaps enabling people to do a better job rather than mundane tasks where things can be automated? What do you see in your space of e-business in terms of the embrace and use of technology to enrich employees' jobs? That's a great question. Um, what we see is that the fears are real with the with the employees that could be impacted by some of these technological changes. But from my vantage point, it's helping the employees understand what is really the focus of their 
job and what are they supposed to be doing with regards to, in, in this case, customer experience. So if I'm a, a, a customer service uh, associate and is is my job to answer the phone and tell somebody where their order is? Sure, that's part of it. But is it my job really to help our customers understand our products better and how they can use their products better to make their business more successful. And imagine if you could take off those those mundane or things that could be self-service tasks from a customer service agent or a sales rep or whomever and allow them to focus on the things that really make the business better for their customers and in turn their company um, rather than just the 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 tasks that can be easily handled by technology and i think that's that's something that that once folks overcome it um they tend to realize that wow technology really can help and the other component to technology is because of the pace in which it's moving it can do things much quicker and much more accurately than 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 humans can. Um, we've seen it with image recognition, for example. Um, a computer can recognize an image of something faster than a human can. Um, it, we're starting to see it with voice technology where, or bot technology, if you will, where I can ask a question to a computer and it knows a series of logic to be able to answer my question. Um, and it can do it, you know, 24-7, 365. Um, so those are all things that once folks understand how it's going to benefit their job, to make it more fulfilling, unless um, you know mundane and less um, tedious, if you will, um, they tend to embrace the technology. It, it takes a little bit to get them over that curve, but once they start to see the benefit, um, we find that a lot of companies uh, and, and and employees embrace that change. Cool, thank you for that. And, and I want to take it maybe another direction just for a minute, and I, I want to quote one of the guys that I like to read, Alan Murray from Fortune Magazine. And earlier this year when the pandemic hit, he alluded to businesses throughout the world. And since the onset of COVID-19, every business essentially that was a brick and mortar store has become a freight forwarding warehouse and an online e-commerce business or an online delivery restaurant, so to speak. In other words, what Alan said is business has been dramatically affected by COVID-19 and companies are using technology to re-steer their business. Do you have any examples or would you like to comment on what Alan's trying to tell the greater business folks out there? Yeah, I, um, the, my, my comment and my, my opinion on it is um, he's right. Um, so if you, if you think about just a traditional um, distributor, for example, they receive goods in from various manufacturers. They essentially are an intermediary. They make it easy for, let's say, a construction worker to go find the things that they need for their project. Um, you know, years passed and I, I came up from the ranks at a welding distributor um, when I was younger. And, you know, part of that relationship was, okay, I go into a local distribution center or um, uh, in some cases they called them stores, but location. And you know, I either placed my order on the phone or went in, talked to the guys at the counter. They pulled all my stuff. Well, because of the social distancing and everything else, that's not really feasible anymore. So what what we see is technology enabling that same process, but with the with the 
safety measures in place. So I'm on my phone. I'm using the same technology that runs my e-business platform or e-commerce site. I look up the items I want. It tells me if they're in stock. I say, I want to go pick them up. I get an email when everything's ready. I pull up to the front of the store. Now I'm able to get my products, walk in, walk out, have somebody bring them out to my truck and uh, away I go. The process still happened. You were able to continue your business. You made the experience that much easier for the, for the, um, the, the, the contractor, if you will. Um, and, and we're starting to see that, that more and more, um, the, um, the fact that people still in certain industries need things right away, e-commerce and technology doesn't change that but what it can do is enable a method to get them those things right away with technology behind it so the ability to order pick things up find out if it's in stock etc um i think are are enabling companies to do things that they they didn't think they'd be able to do um and now they can same with companies that take that same distributor for food for example restaurants they supply um goods and services to restaurants um Restaurants aren't doing as much business, but people still need food. So now all of a sudden you're shifting your your channel from I go directly to restaurants to now I have to go to consumers. How do you do that? You're used to selling cases and now you got to sell eaches. Well, having the right technology behind it to be able to have people pick up in the store or better yet, I can now put those things on a UPS truck or a FedEx truck or what have you and ship them direct to the end user's site or, or house, if you will. Um, those are things that a lot of distributors hadn't contemplated until COVID and and technology is enabling them to do that much, much quicker. And again, you, they have to remember that that consumer is used to a consumer experience, not a B2B experience. So being able to do that, um, they don't want to buy, you know, five cases of chicken they want to buy a bag of chicken so how do we, how do you how do you scale it down and be able to handle a hundred people who are receiving your products versus one and um, technology has enabled a lot of companies to do that and do that quickly COVID. you know you bring up an interesting point in conversations i have with customers bob i use the old adage time waits for no one and i change it a little bit to say folks today's world technology is waiting for no one but what you're trying to say is, hey, it's happening in the world of e-business, e-commerce space. And the companies that, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so correct me, but it sounds like you're saying the companies that are not sticking to that and saying technology waits for no one, but we're going to do some of our biggest business pains in an affordable subscription and a deliberate manner to crawl, walk, run, might be the ones who make it out of this COVID maybe as well as they used to be, or maybe even thrive more in the future. You agree or disagree? Oh, I agree. Because what they're doing is they're addressing their pain points, um, theirs and their customers' pain points in a manageable fashion. Um, rather than saying, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna wait until business is back to normal. And again, no one of us are sure what business is back to normal is ever gonna look like. Um, so why not figure out how to be successful now? And then as the model changes again in six months, 12 months, you'll have technology in place that can cap, cap, capitalize on that change and help you pivot more quickly. Bob, are there any characteristics of a company or of leadership in, in, the, in the, all the companies that you talk to 
in terms of is this change that you see of technology and trying to adopt and not get out Amazon by the small or midsize companies in your own business, is there a certain trait that an IT department owns this e-commerce project, it's a business project, it's a user project? What do you see the successful companies doing? Who owns these projects? Who's got the foresight and who drives this? Great question. Um, in my experience, the most su- successful projects are driven top down with different levels of ownership. So what I mean by that is it's got to start at the executive level. This is how we're going to solve these business challenges. We're going to figure out new ways to go to newer technologies, newer markets, fulfill our customers' wants and needs. And then the business has specific goals, KPIs, sales targets, revenue targets, whatever those are that they have to achieve. So they have to make sure that what's being developed or delivered is addressing those KPIs, if you will. Um, And then IT involvement is critical to make sure that the solution is, first of all, integrated well to the existing systems that takes advantage of investments that are already made and that as it gets put into place that the organization understands how it works and how it's going to scale um, and then how it could be leveraged in the future for other initiatives that uh, that may or may not have been identified yet. Um, so it what you know it's it's the proverbial three-legged stool where all three of those groups within a customer organization has has to be involved and then you add in the appropriate solution provider um, who can guide them through the various bits of technology um, uh, help understand what are what are the kind of the low-hanging fruit the easy things to achieve so that they can recognize those uh, those gains quickly I think is the other important part So the takeaway on this one, Bob, it's really a partnership. It's the vision of the business in concert with IT enabling it as a three-legged stool or a total partnership that drives the success. Bob, one other thought or question for you. In doing my research to have the honor to interview you today, I'd read about how there's some misconception in the marketplace when we talk about e-business or e-commerce. And some companies say today, well, you know, I don't sell like Amazon. I'm not going to an end consumer. So our technology, what we have today as a business to business is good enough. Is that okay to do today? Is it a mistake? Is it changing? What's your experience and all the customers that you've worked with through the years on this e-business experience? What was it? What is it today? And where's it going? I think... It depends on the technology, if it's good enough. Um, what we tend to see is that companies think that online or e-business is only add to bag and checkout, um, that on occasion somebody will want to do that. Um, what we tend to see in the space now is that companies are doing much more research online to find out about products and services. Um and are checking multiple sources. So you may have a good relationship with somebody, but they're checking your competition out. Um, so making sure that your information is clearly presented, that you know you you continue to sell your your yourselves um, on a digital platform versus a, an in person platform. The other thing is that um, uh, the wants and needs of the buyer are constantly changing. So you have to keep up with their 
desires um, in terms of how they want to be dealt with. Um, I mentioned earlier that we're seeing the the purchasing group starting to skew younger and younger. Um, uh, they tend to be great online consumers in their personal time. They want that same experience when interacting with companies. And so how do you make that that available to them? And then looking at where you can expand the capabilities of online. So um, we talked about self-service, being able to look up my order status, being able to find out what invoices are passed to, or can I print, reprint my invoice? Where are my credits? Now we're actually starting to see folks leverage the operational technologies that you've heard a lot about. IoT, for example. If, if you've got IoT devices on a bunch of your m- machines and what the customer can do is log on to your your customer service portal and see all of the IOT data as it relates to the equipment of yours they own. And now they can start to see, okay, am I going to need consumables? Am I going to need service on this piece of equipment um, in advance? Because now we're capturing that sensor data and presenting it to a customer so that when a salesperson or a service person calls them, they now have empirical data that says, hey, you, you've run this machine for 10,000 cycles right around 12,000 cycles, it needs to have this type of service work done. Do you want to go ahead and schedule it? Or, hey, you're burning through consumables 10 times faster than, you know, 15 other companies that are using the same piece of equipment. Is there something going on that we need to be aware of? Now you're being a better servant to your customers and they're going to appreciate the use of that technology. So we're, we're starting to see it, um, reasons why the status quo isn't going to work and, and, it's starting to again blend together different technologies to address different uh, different needs. Some needs you know didn't even need know you needed, like looking at at IoT data on specific pieces of equipment to see how it's performing against you know against others, and uh, it can be very informative to you. Thank you, Bob. So one final question to you, and let me frame it this way. So you've just given our audience a lot of insights that e business is certainly so much more than an online shopping cart and a simple order entry, especially from a business to business and the business to business today is much more robust and needs to be much more of a business to consumer like feel and experience. If you were going to leave our audience today with maybe one, two or three takeaways today, either to get started to how do they digest technology affordably or what do they need to do to start now? What couple piece of advice would you give to our audience to conclude today aside from call intelligence um <laughs> i would say the, the first one is um what are your current pain points make sure that's understood and agreed upon um some departments have different pain points from others um if you have any insight from your customers what things are your customers looking for that you're not providing today um i would also look at your competitors what 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 are they doing, both in industry and outside of industry? Who do you aspire to be? What are they doing that's so so dynamic or so you know inspiring, if you will? Um, and then think of where you want to be in three to four years and set out a path to get there. Again, you don't have to get there day one. Over time, what is it going to take for you to get those things put in place that will 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 make you um, realize the vision of what you what you feel is going to happen in the next three to four years. So again, start small, iterate often, and um, uh, measure 
results each time. Awesome. Very pragmatic, Bob. Good way to approach things. And thank you for spending time and helping to educate and inform our audience. And to our audience, thanks again for joining us in the podcast today. I look forward to hosting you on another Hug the Curve podcast in the future. Take care, all. Thank you.